listening to the Salt Churches podcast. Here you can listen to messages, inspiration, and lessons learned about planting microchurches all across the nation. Thank you for tuning in. To find more information, you can visit us at www.saltchurches.com. This podcast is brought to you today by Salt Church's founder, Parker Green. Thanks, guys. It's so good to, um, to worship together as together as we mostly can be at this point. But um, uh, just really excited to uh, talk to you guys all today uh, about discipleship. And um, I think it's Obviously, one of those things that uh, Salt Churches specifically is known for, <laughs> and it's one of those things that I think, luckily, Jesus is known for as well. So uh, we want to be known for the same things. But this is really near and dear to my heart because, uh, in so many ways, discipleship and following Jesus and knowing Jesus and really keeping our eyes focused on Him has has saved me so many times, and I think. We look at the following Jesus part. We're going to look at the cost of discipleship today, but I think so many of us forget the part where Jesus talks about, I'll never leave you. Um, I'll never forsake you. And the fact that he's overcome the world and in all the fear mongering that's going on and all of the, you know, it's really weird going to the grocery store and wearing a mask and seeing people wear masks. It's like a very like surprising situation when you're in the United States and you're going and seeing people that are protecting themselves or protecting their own lives or protecting loved ones from themselves, whatever that looks like um, right now with this new disease that I'm sure our bodies will figure out how to fight over time. But right now it's a brand new thing. So I think people are are scared because mostly because of the unknown. And Jess and I had the opportunity um, because we're very blessed and very lucky. We support raised for a a trailer to plant churches with. And Jesse's pregnant and we have two little ones. And uh, both my parents are kind of in the uh, danger zone, I guess you could say, when it comes to to this disease, I guess you could say. They're both very healthy. But um, so we, we, took off and went to Kern County, which is like (laughs) in the middle of nowhere, kind of California. There are 1800 people in the town we're in and we parked the trailer out there for two weeks. Um, And I had the opportunity to uh, read a book that made me feel like I wasn't a Christian anymore. And I, I encourage all of you to pick it up called uh, the cost of discipleship by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. To give you a little context on who he was, because I'm going to use some of his quotes today and steal a lot of his ideas, um, which I think he kind of stole from Jesus, so it's not really stealing. To give you context, he was a, um, a Lutheran pastor in um, Germany at the time, um, right around the time where uh, Hitler is rising to power. Um, so to get an idea of his context, essentially, he's watching um, an enormous government um, uh, in a lot of crazy ways, start to take over and make Christianity nominal um, and uh, move it to the side and make fascism God at the time and Hitler in the end God to the German people. And he wrote this book, Cost of Discipleship, in uh, about 1933. So in six years, World War II would have started. 
And to give you an idea of the type of person he was, he went underground um, when the war started and was eventually put in prison. And then he was hung for a plot to um, assassinate Hitler. <laughs> so, so to give you an idea of what the book feels like, that's the book does feel like a wartime book. And I think so many of us um, coming out of the other end of what we're in the middle of right now will find a different world that we're living in. And I think as always with following Jesus and as always with the gospel, crisis like this provides and gives great opportunity for discipleship. What are people looking for that are walking around a previously well-stocked with toilet paper and frozen goods grocery store with masks and gloves? Those people are looking for something beyond what they have right now. First of all, just to feel safe. And second of all, for direction, because what does life actually look like when everything comes to a halt or if you're forced to come to a halt? A lot of people are going to be sitting in their homes right now or sitting with their families right now, forced to deal with themselves for the first time and away from busy for the, for the longest time. Because we've many of the states that we reside in have been on some kind of you know shelter in place for about a week and a half, maybe two weeks, like actually legitimately, like it started to take effect where people are like actually distancing themselves from each other. Like Taylor came by the other day and dropped off cake for the boys. And like, we were right in the middle of a meeting deciding as a household, like, how are we going to handle this thing? Like, what are we actually going to do? <laughs> and I took the cake and I like put it in the freezer first. So it'd kill anything if there's anything on it before I feed it to the boys. Like, but it's like one of those things like this is really weird what I'm doing right now. <laughs> like it feels so odd. Um, but like I'm protecting my family. I'm protecting like uh, my pregnant wife. And like you're thinking like, OK, so what is everyone doing in their house right now? Once all the cleaning is done, once all the organizing is done, once all the household projects are done and you're just forced to sit and deal with yourself, like what's actually going to happen to people? Because we're a society that's so busy that's moving all the time, that's keeping ourselves busy to avoid pain, to avoid conflict, to avoid facing ourselves, really, and of facing our own souls. And therein lies the great opportunity to in introduce people to Jesus and introduce people to discipleship. Because here's the thing, like, I thought about this while we were away camping, and this is to circle back around. I have complicated things so much. And I think we all naturally do this, right? We complicate following Jesus and we make it something other than it is by adding all these things to it and stacking things on top of Jesus and giving things to Jesus that we want him to take care of that he aren't necessarily in his will for us or, or just like generally adding religion. We can't help ourselves. We like have to add something so we can earn it, Right. So we can earn our right to follow Jesus or be a super disciple or be some kind of different thing other than what Jesus is specifically asking for and what he's talking about in scripture. And we're just at the beginning of this. And so many churches have gone online and they're doing churches in a different way. And they're, they're doing um, online church, right? So we're doing something similar. It's slightly more interactive. And I mean, you, if you guys have questions along the way right now, um, you can use um, the chat in the bottom right corner and turn on your chat. And I'll, I'll jump in on those questions because we're going to get into the scripture here after I intro. 
and I, I would love for you guys to say like pop in questions as we're going along, like please do so or thoughts that you might have. Um, but I want to try today um, to simplify this for us as much as possible in this time. And there's a reason I want to do that. It is not to simplify it just for you. It is to simplify it so that you can pass it along to other people. What does discipleship look like when it's actually Jesus plus nothing else? Because I was asking him, I was like, Jesus, how do you want me to lead salt? How do you want me to lead my family? How do you want me to do this thing? Like, how do you want me to like, um, like take advantage of the situation? Because it's like, if you look at Instagram right now and it's hilarious, it's like, everyone's got a freaking seminar at the moment. <laughs> right? And like, I think it's probably the last thing people are looking for is another seminar. Maybe they're looking for something to do, but maybe, maybe just maybe they're not looking for another seminar or how to improve your life in lockdown. Or like, these are the seven habits of not losing your mind in your house. Like those aren't the things people are, I, I feel like for right now. And I feel like we're missing the pulse on a lot of those things. I think people are looking for something deeper, something eternal, whether it be principles or whether it be a person. I think what we have to offer that is so different from every other religion on the face of the planet is we have a person on before us and we're celebrating it this week. Good Friday is coming up and Easter Sunday where this person, Jesus, this man died for people in order to have connection with mankind. Simply put, it's so simple for us to um, engage with Jesus and he made it that way. And the reality of it is, is he calls us. And so we're going to, we're going to jump into Luke, um, chapter 14 and, uh, verse 25. Right. So I'll give you guys a second to get there just so you can look at the, look at the actual passage as we're reading through it. So I'll just give you a second to get there. It's really, really helpful to look at it. Um, it helps you remember it first of all. And I encourage you guys in this time of shelter in place or whatever it is, whatever your state is doing. And I was really encouraged today, actually, the, the rate of growth has slowed down in California from double digits to single digits. So I think we're, we're on our way, um, (laughs) out here, but, um, I just want to jump into this and, and refresh this. And while you're doing this, open a paper Bible and master the gospels over these next four weeks. Really get into them. Like learn who Jesus actually was. So you come out the other end of this knowing who you're introducing people to. All right. So verse 25, large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them, he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, Such a person cannot be my disciple, and whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Now, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, This person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? 
If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown out. Whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. So, so many people, and I've heard pastors do this as well, really, really, really want to soften this passage. (laughs) Really want to turn it into something that maybe it's not, and maybe what Jesus isn't actually getting at. What does a life with Jesus plus nothing actually look like? Well, we don't have to look very far in Jesus' teaching to actually figure that out and what he's actually saying. Because it says large crowds were traveling with Jesus. Would you say right now in the United States of America, large crowds are traveling with Jesus? I would say absolutely. Large crowds are traveling with Jesus. (laughs) And there will always be a large crowd around Jesus. There's no problem with a large crowd being around Jesus. Jesus looked at the large crowd and said, They're like sheep without a shepherd. But so many people in those large crowds that we have in the United States today are sheep without shepherd, without a shepherd. But Jesus says and turns around to the crowds and he says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Now, what does Jesus actually mean when he's talking about hating your own life? disregarding your own life. When we pick up the cross, like Jesus talks about in this passage and says, pick up your cross and follow me. When Jesus says, hate your own life, what he's saying is, I've purchased you now with a price. You no longer belong to yourself. You belong to me. Your life belongs to me. The details of your life belong to me. Every single tiny little thing you say or do now belongs to me. You've been purchased with a price. You've been set free from sin and death, not just from the consequences of sin, right? But from sin itself. So not just from, oh, I screwed up. These are the consequences and now I'm judged by God, but he set you free from actual sin. He didn't go to the cross just to take the punishment for it. He went to the cross and rose from the dead in order that you might stop sinning and be free in Jesus Christ, be a brand new creation in him. That's a totally different perspective than just saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Now, we all experience some of those bad habits in our life, right? But that's the old man, the dead man trying to feed itself, right? Trying to to gorge itself on something and trying to put those habits back in place, those habits of the flesh back in place. And what Jesus tells us to do, he goes, look, you need to hate everything compared to me. If you don't figure out how to hate everything compared to me, then you're not free yet. If you put it on a comparison scale and Jesus says, leave everything, and it's by rights, it's his right because he's purchased you. It's it's okay for him. It's by his right. He can ask you to do that because he's Lord, right? And we think of Lord as like... Uh, like someone like from Downton Abbey or something that like rules a manor in like the 1800s, right? When you read Lord in the New Testament, what Paul the Apostle and these people are talking about is someone far more like an emperor, someone that holds the power of death and life in his hands no matter what. So you see later in scripture, Paul the Apostle is actually appealing to Caesar, right? 
he's going to the highest law in the land. And we think eventually Caesar had him executed, right? So Caesar, and by the power of those that he's given power to, holds literally the power of life and death in his hands. And what the new Christian church is saying, you're not Lord, Jesus is Lord, because even if you kill me, I'll be resurrected with Jesus because Jesus has defeated death. So he's proven himself as Lord through the death and resurrection, right? So he's far more like the emperor of the universe than some far away Lord that's like ruling some random English manor. <laughs> we need to think of it in a completely different way, right? He's the Lord of hosts. He's the God of angel armies. So when he says, hate all these things compared to me, he's asking us to do a legitimate thing. He's not asking us to just love some person. He's asking us to love him with everything. And it's only love, only love that will draw us into a sacrifice like that. You can't just do it through duty. It won't work. Jesus has to call you and you have to choose to follow. Now, next he says, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost and see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Now, who knows a believer who was like on fire at first and went for it and didn't count the cost in the end. And when you started asking things of them in discipleship or you were asked of things in discipleship, things started to really slow down. And who's been there before? Like I've been that person on multiple occasions where it's like, wait a second, Jesus, I didn't know it actually cost me like building my own little empire. I didn't know it cost me being successful in a particular way. I didn't know it would cost me, you know, pursuing finance in a particular way. I didn't know it would cost me friendships. It would cost me, I mean, it's cost me so many things you know what I mean? Along the way. But the only thing it costs, it, it's cost my wife, Jesse, <laughs> an innumerable amount of things like, like a normal maternity leave, which is like a normal thing in the United States, but she's never had an opportunity to have that. It's cost her a comfortable place to have babies almost every single time. And it's like, we thought this one was going to be the one. And now it's like, no, you can't leave your house and you can only be in the hospital for 24 hours. And it's like, like you have to count beforehand what it's actually going to look like, like walk through in your mind. And I want each of us to do this right now. I don't care where you're at in your walk with Jesus. Where is your limit when it comes to following Jesus? Because the thing, the main thing Jesus said to me when I was out camping, sitting by the fire in the morning and by all means, like we're grateful and it was comfortable, like compared to any other situation you could possibly be in, like compared to where a lot of people are right now, it was great. But I'm like, Jesus, what do we, what do I do as an individual through this whole circumstance and situation? What should I do, Jesus? And he says, you follow me. And I was waiting for more, <laughs> but didn't get any more through this crisis through this thing, whether big or small, whatever state you live in or wherever you're at, whatever circumstance you're in, wherever your fear meter is at, Jesus is asking us as individuals first to follow him because we don't actually become individuals in the realest sense of the word until we say yes to Jesus. That's one of the main points Dietrich Bonhoeffer makes in that book that was mind boggling to me. 
He essentially says, Jesus has to call you, first of all. And then you as a person, not as a group, not as a church necessarily, and not as you know, a social call, he's saying, you follow me, you. When he calls Matthew from the tax collecting booth, he doesn't say, Levi, come follow us, come be with us, come hang out with the group. He says, get up from your table and come follow me. When he's calling Peter, Paul, when he's calling Peter, when he calls Paul, he calls them as individuals and they drop what they're doing and follow him, right? So each and every one of us, if we haven't had this time yet, I encourage you, and I read this in Dallas Willard's book, and it actually revolutionized how I approach discipleship. Take two or three days, and I'm serious. Take two or three days. If you have to do it alone, fine, but actually count the cost. Put it down on paper. What's your limit? Like, at what point would you say, no, Jesus, no more? And I think all of us have to go through that in our mind because every once you belong to him, Every single thing that he asks of you is a legitimate ask. He can ask you to give up anything in your life. And that's why he says, don't just lay the foundation before you build the tower, before you've counted the cost, because people go, who was he following? And too many people haven't counted the cost and say, I'm following Jesus, but they don't go all the way what he's asking them to do. And people think that's the gospel. The gospel is actually giving literally everything up to him. Now, here's one that I like a lot, and Jesus <laughs> is brilliant with this. Pass- uh, the passage is verse 31 in Luke 14. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able... He will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. Now, this is, um, if you're an American Christianity mindset, this is a hard metaphor to understand because so many people think that they've raised their hands and they've saved themselves by raising their hands, saying a prayer and going to the front, right? Jesus is the one doing the saving. And I think so many of us could recall a moment where we were saved. Right. I remember specifically when I was saved and I can tell you, I was not going after God, reading the Bible, trying to find him. Jesus grabbed me in a moment of crisis and said, I am your only solution and I'm calling you now. And it was Jesus doing the saving. So when he talks about a king going to war against another king, don't we all like have our own little kingdoms, right? We all set up like our own little kingdoms, like our own little thing. We have like our budgets and like the things we're going to do and like our little dreams and like our thing, like we're going to take over the world. Or, like it's like a millennial disease, right? Where it's like, you're like, everybody, everybody's a leader. It's like, no, that's not how the world has ever worked. Everybody's gonna, everybody, like you can achieve your dreams if you just like focus on it hard enough. I'm like, yeah, but what if you don't have the skills and what if life changes What if you die tomorrow? Like there's a million different things involved here where it's like, it's best if we just take the Lord of the universes or the emperor of the universes advice on this, because when he's talking about one army marching against another, he's talking about salvation because you have your little kingdom and 
the God of angel armies is marching against you when you have your own little kingdom because you're a rebel against him. In everything in your life, we're rebelling against him in sinful ways. We're, we're built, we have an army, but it's a tiny, puny, weak little army. And we can decide to send a delegation and say, I surrender. Or we cannot count the cost and go to war against God in our lives, in the details of our lives, and he'll crush us and he'll love us by crushing us. And so we need to, in advance, it would be easier for us to humble ourselves and say, look, I'm actually not in control. <laughs> I'm actually not in control. Like, send a delegation. This guy's going to wipe us out. He's in control. And that's what happened to me when I got saved. And I think that's what happens to so many people when they decide to step over, get baptized, and begin to follow the Son of God in a new way, is they realize that he's stronger, he's more powerful. And he's irresistible. To a degree, Jesus is irresistible. You can say no all you want, but in the end, he has the final word. He is the law, so to speak, <laughs> right? So, and that's not metaphorical. Jesus is actually the word of the law. <laughs> he is the, the last word on every person's life that's ever lived from here to eternity and before our lives actually begin. So, he finishes here and says, if he's not able, he'll send a delegation while the other's a long way off and ask for terms of peace, right? So each and every one of us, I think, after we're off this Zoom church call thing meeting, I still haven't figured out what to call these. <laughs> I don't know how long they're going to go for. Each one of us needs to go, where do I need to send the delegation? Where can I see the armies of God marching against me where I'm trying to be in control of my own life? and build my own little kingdom where he's actually the emperor. And he's saying, Hey, you've been in rebellion in this area. Stop it. An army's coming your direction. Right? So he says in verse 33, in the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Let's not, gosh, this is such a hard word. Um, and there's a reason for that. What do you have that is of value compared to Christ? That's the real question. What do you have that is of value compared to him? And I think too many of us think what we have is far more valuable than it actually is. And this is, in, this is, the, this is the intense part of it because he starts, he starts it with, with, and some translations have tried to soften this, but who doesn't hate father, mother, wife, and children, brothers, and sisters, right? Like, are those things more valuable to us? Are we deifying those things? Are we deifying our marriage? Are we deifying our family over and above Christ? If we are, then he says, you can't be my disciple. And that's a really hard thing to say, but if you flip it on the other end, how valuable is Christ and how much has he given us, right? We have to put Jesus in his proper place as Lord. And once you put him in his proper place as Lord, as lover, as friend, as guide, as leader, like all those things in our lives, then all those things you go, oh, I see now. And before I get into that, I'm going to quote Dietrich because he explains this in such an amazing way. And I'll explain this after I read it. 
There is no way from one person to another. There's no direct way from one person to another, he's saying. However loving and sympathetic we try to be, however sound our psychology, however frank and open our behavior, we cannot penetrate the incognito of the other man. It means we can't penetrate who they are. But there are no direct relationships, not even between soul and soul. Christ stands between us. And we can only get in touch with our neighbors through him. This is why intercession is the most promising way to reach our neighbors. And corporate prayer offered in the name of Christ is the purest form of fellowship. So let me explain that a little bit. So I have a relationship with my wife. And it's the closest relationship I have on planet Earth. But. I do not have a direct relationship with Jesse. I have a relationship with her through Jesus. So the way to be most intimate with her, which is what we're actually working on in our marriage and trying to figure out in this time of, of shelter in place is praying in communion with her because Jesus stands. Now that you're a believer and you follow him, Jesus stands between every single relationship that you have. You have no direct relationships with anybody. So you praying for somebody is the closest you'll ever be to them. And when we have a conversation with somebody, and this is the hardest truth that I'm grappling with right now, when I have a conversation or talk to anybody, my neighbors, my parents, my kids, Jesus stands between me and that relationship because I follow him. So when Jesus says, hate brother, sister, mother, father, wife, He's saying, I'm standing now. I own all those relationships. All those relationships now belong to me. And the only way that you're actually going to be close to those people in real life is if Jesus is standing between your relationships and every single relationship. And we can actually see that because we can't possibly know human human beings are so complicated, like, and they change, right? Like my wife is a completely different person than I married seven years ago, eight years ago, seven or eight years ago. So (laughs) the reality is like, like we were in our late twenties. Now we're in our early thirties with three kids and that's, we have to be completely different people. Otherwise we'd be nuts, right? Going out three nights a week and just worrying about us and feeding ourselves and taking like, you know what I mean? Like, You have to become someone completely different when someone else steps into your life. And in five or six years, everybody that's married on this call, you're going to be a different person. If you stay single or not, like the person that you're about, you're going to marry in the future is going to be a different person from now until the time you actually meet them. So you can't actually know a person completely ever. The only way that you can actually be near to them is in Jesus Christ. So the only way to have a real relationship with anybody is through discipleship, is through following Jesus, because you can't actually completely know them. You can be close to somebody. There's wonderful friendships out there. I'm not saying drop all your friendships and say, now Jesus stands between us and I can't talk to you. That's like not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is thinking about people, praying for people, how we speak to people, how we love people, how we care for people, how we serve people, how we do anything in our lives. Like, Jesus is standing there saying, your relationship now belongs to me. 
So we have to think in terms of lordship down to the small, the things that we think are ours and ours alone do not belong to us at all. They belong to him. And that's the only way we can be truly free. That's the crazy part. We think by clutching on to the things that we see in front of us and by making this physical world like the most important thing, like if I just hold on to this money and don't give it away, if I just hold on to this relationship and don't give it away, we've all done that, right? Have a codependent relationship with somebody. If I hold on to this this relationship or this house or this way of life or this thing that I'm doing or this little weird object that I got from someone in the past that belongs to me and me only, Jesus not only stands between you and your relationships, but every object and everything that belongs to you actually belongs to him. So we have to pass everything that we think is ours through him and say, I submit this to you. I submit this to you. I hate this compared to you. I would throw this in the trash compared to you. Like Paul the Apostle says, I count it all loss compared to, compared to knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And I press on towards the crown of life that he's promised me, right? So we press on towards the crown of life that he's promised because it's so much better than this world that is passing away and how fragile and how weak is our society and our country. Just look at it. Everything came to a halt. The greatest empire, the wealthiest empire that has ever existed on the face of the planet, the United States of America. We have, like the world that Paul the Apostle lived in, like he would have to ride a horse and take a boat for six days to get across the Mediterranean. There are planes that can do that in 25 minutes or less, 15 minutes in the Air Force from one place to another. They can fly from one place to another in 15 minutes, and they're owned by the greatest empire that's ever existed. And what happens if they don't have fuel anymore because of some disease and the bank shut down, right? I'm thinking like, wait, God has to be in control and everyone's thinking right now, wait, this whole thing might be, this whole consumer mindset might be way more fragile than we actually thought it was. And coming out the other end of this, people are going to be looking for something concrete and eternal. And how can they find that? They can find that if you're having your relationships through Christ. They can find that in Christ and Christ only. He's the only foundation. He's the only thing that we can put our life on. He's the only thing. If we can look at our, our belief system and look at our life and, and realize that he is literally the only thing, like I'm, I'm as patriotic as they come, right? Like you see the flag over my left hand shoulder, right? But the reality is like my allegiance only lies with Christ and we, we won't gather as long as it's reasonable to not gather because the government authorities tell us to. But when it becomes unreasonable and Jesus asks us to do something different, maybe we will. But I think the reality is like so many of us are, are looking at the world around us now and going, okay, something needs to be reassessed. And don't look at everyone else and don't point at everyone else. This is the, this is the mistake all of us will make, right? Like, see, it's so weak out there. You're so weak. And it's like, yeah, but like <laughs> you're a part of it. <laughs> so we look at each other and we look at ourselves as individuals and go, what in me was bending the knee to consumerism? What in me was bending the knee to patriotism? What in me was bending the knee to something completely different than Christ himself? We are called to love our country, but we're called to love the people in it because they need Jesus. 
That's the point of loving a country because we're missionaries. We're foreigners here. No matter how or where you've been born, you're a foreigner in this land. You're walking through it. You're passing through it. You're in a tent. You're in a, you're in a body that's going to die and someday be resurrected in what form? Not even Paul the Apostle said he knew, but at some point following Jesus has to become an all or nothing thing. And now is a time, a great time to think about it, all right? Because the things around us aren't going to work forever. And I think we're starting to see that now. <laughs> Everything has its end, right? Every earthly thing has its end. So I'll finish here on 34. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown out. Whoever, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. So our church is obviously called Salt Churches, which is like, I'm always proud of that whenever we get to this passage. But are we really salty? That's the question we have to ask ourselves consistently. Are we salt or are we fit for the manure pile, as Jesus says? He says, when salt loses its flavor, it's not a thing anymore. It's not worth keeping. It's worth throwing out only. It's not anything anymore. So if we're not preserving the society around us through the preaching of the gospel, if we're not calling out the things that are wrong in our society, if we're not calling out the things in ourselves, insulting the things in ourselves that need salt and preservation through the word of God, like what is it good for in, to, to claim the name of Jesus at the end of a prayer, right? What good is it to adhere to some thing at a church or sit in a row or a circle for that matter and turn it into something that it's not? We need to, as believers, be salty and preserve this world. I think Dietrich Bonhoeffer says it well about the church. He says that the church is salty because the only reason this earth still exists is because, because of God's church and because of his bride spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's because God wants his lost kids to come home and follow him. But I think coming out of this and in the midst of this, we have to say, okay, what is the actual cost? And when I'm talking to someone about what the gospel is, is this an all or nothing gospel? Or am I telling them a version of Christianity that has been watered down enough so I feel good and I'm approved? Because when we preach the gospel, right, we're not, we're not preaching ourselves. Jesus says we're witnesses, right? We're messengers for the king. We're not the kings ourselves, and we're not the, the one that, brought the, that created the good news in the first place. We're not the ones that created the victory that we're bringing the message of. So when someone rejects the gospel, they're not rejecting us. They're rejecting the word of Jesus. So we have to think, okay, as his disciple, first of all, what's the log in my eye so I can remove that in this time so that I then can remove the speck in someone else's? He doesn't say don't remove the speck. He says, take the log out of your own eye first so you can see clearly and then call someone else to repentance. Right. So so for us, we have to bring the gospel in a way that is salty like never before, because so many people are looking at the world around them now and going, this is not working. And they're getting time at home and they're eating meals around a table and they're looking at each other face to face and, <laughs> and they're getting their house in order and they're they're playing board games with each other. And I think it's reasonable, reasonable for us to think about the world in a different way um, than we have in a long time. So. Just to, just to wrap it up, and then we're going to do a little bit of training for everybody so we can put this into practice right away. Um, 
what are you adding to Jesus? So Jesus plus what is heresy? So what heresy do we have in our lives or what belief system do we have in our lives that is Jesus plus something else? Jesus plus success, Jesus plus prosperity, Jesus plus social justice, Jesus plus blank, 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 you name it. Like Jesus plus my political party, Jesus plus like where his, where is he not the emperor? Where is he not in charge? So let's think about it. Let's think about that um, this week um, as we go into Good Friday and really take the time to think, is there anything more valuable in my life than being a disciple and following Jesus? Is there anything that I would not give up? And that's a good thing to wrestle with. God is in the wrestle. That's what um, he calls himself. I mean, the God of Jacob, the God of Israel, the one who, the one who wrestles, right? So it's good, it's good to engage in this conversation with God. He'll be patient with you. I want you to remember that. And there's one thing that I wanted to bring up today um, at the end. You know, we read um, the Great Commission a lot, Matthew 28, 16 through 20, right? And I'll just read it real quick out of NIV. You guys don't necessarily have to go there, but I'll start from 16. The 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Now, this is a part of the Great Commission that often gets left out that I think we all need right now. And surely I am with you always even to the very end of the age. And basically better translated, that's saying all the times. I'll be with you all the times. In between every single time that there is, I will be with you in that time. So when we're fulfilling God's mission, when we're out following Jesus, when we're making disciples, he is saying, I'll be with you no matter what. In this time of shelter in place, in this time when we start to breathe again and the nation starts to breathe again, or the world, for that matter, starts to breathe again, when we start to walk this out in our daily lives and have normal work schedules again, what does it look like to fulfill the Great Commission so that Jesus is with us no matter what? He's like, don't be afraid. I'm with you. How can he say that if he's about to ascend to heaven? Like he's about to do his floaty or disappearing thing, whatever it looked like, however he ascended to heaven, right? And he's saying, I'll be with you. I'll be with you. And he's about to leave. Like, what does that actually look like? It looks like the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us. It looks like Jesus being in between every relationship we have. It looks like the body of Christ. It looks like the church. Right? He's with us when we're worshiping with the body of believers. That's why he says that we're at his actual body. We're his actual temple. We, we are, as a body, are where heaven meets earth. So he's with us in it all. And I think it's good for us to remember that. Now let's get super, super practical. Okay. So everyone, if you can get out a piece of paper and a pen or download the Salt Church's app, we're going to get like practical with, with this whole thing. If you don't already have the app, it's pretty amazing. And if you have the app, um, open it up on your phone and go to, go to media on the bottom and then go to simple tools and then go to the compass rose. Right. And once you have that open, if you don't, that's fine. I'm going to walk you through it. If you have a pen and paper, just write a simple compass rose down. If, for those of you that forget ninth grade uh, geography, 
It's uh, two arrows, north and south, two arrows, east and west. And just write that down, okay? And it's important that you write it down so you can remember if you don't have it in the app and write it or write it down at some point so you can show it to someone else. Yep, perfect. <laughs> perfect. Um, the whole idea is not just for you to learn this, but for you to be able to pass this on to someone else, okay? So um, at the north end is the spirit and the word. So when we gather as disciples, as two or three disciples sitting together, we first ask each other, what is the Holy Spirit through the Bible? What has he been telling you this week? Because we meet weekly, okay? Very practically, meet weekly. What is the Holy Spirit telling you? <laughs> Looking at my son and my wife right now. And what are they, what's, what's the Holy Spirit telling you? What's, what's Jesus telling you to obey through the word? And we want to stay focused on the word, right? Because it solves every problem, right? When someone's like, I've got this issue, I've got this issue, I've got this relationship problem. Well, what is the Bible telling you? What, why are you asking me? Let's ask Jesus first and then we'll go from there, right? So next one. Um, personal accountability. So this is a big one, Kay. This is not just like a, like I, I sinned again this week, personal accountability type thing. Okay. There's a lot of those groups going around and I think that's (laughs) ridiculous, but how do you, how have you, um, obeyed Jesus in this last week? So we talked about the spirit and the word last week. So personal accountability. So we're going North to West West is personal accountability. So the West arrow points, you can think of it as pointing backward in time. Okay. How are you being accountable, right? To what the word actually says, right? And then the bottom one is love, right? South is love. So how are you doing? Right? So we're not going to say like, hey, did you follow what this scripture said? If like somebody's grandmother passed away that week, right? You're not, that's like, don't, don't be ridiculous. Like shepherd people, care for people, love people in these discipleship groups. Okay. And then east is go, right? Or obey. Like do what the word actually says. This is how you're going to do it this week. And we're going to hold you accountable to it next week. That's east. So north, spirit in the word. Down to west, personal accountability. Down to south, loving one another. Over to east, go. Go do what the word actually says and do it together. Okay? Now, here's, here's what I want, the challenge I want to throw out to everybody in this group. I bet for Easter um, next Sunday when we meet together that there could be double the people on this phone call. And here's how that's going to happen. It's not going to happen through an invitation to like some Easter message through Jesse and I in a Zoom call. We're going to talk about this in a different way. There's something about like the technology that makes this a somewhat lower bar of entry for people to hang out and talk about the Bible. So here's what I want to do. As a church here in Costa Mesa, we've been have we've had a list of people that we're praying for, um, and I want us during the week to invite those people either into the discipleship groups that we have, just to see what it's like, or even better, start a brand new group with two or three people that you're walking through the Book of Mark with. Just open the Book of Mark and use this compass rose. It's a simple tool. Teach them how to use the compass rose two to three people on a Zoom call sometime this week that you begin discipling and walking through the word with. Say, hey, let's do a Zoom call. Look, a lot of people have spare time on their hands. Some people are still working from home quite a bit. 
but a lot of people have more flexibility than they used to have. So, hey, let's get together and talk about the Bible in this time. And I bet you, I bet you, and especially going into next week, when I think things are going to be pretty tough this upcoming week for people, and they're going to they're going to be at home for some of them their third or fourth week, <laughs> right? They're going to be going, what am I supposed to do? Like, hey, I've got, I've got this person for you. I want to introduce you to Jesus, right? Let's get in the Bible together and let's set a schedule as just, just as long as shelter in place lasts, right? Let's get three or four people together and talk about the Bible. And just to keep, keep everything above board, just to be really clear, guys have Bible studies with guys, girls have Bible studies with girls, right? And if you're doing it a mixed, mixed gender, then have husbands and wives do it together or have someone else on the call uh, with you, right? So here's the thing. Like, this is a time when the harvest is ripe and will be riper than it's ever been in, in our immediate history. And it's a time for us to start planting the seeds of the gospel with people that we've been praying for. So start interceding for those people Write their names down right now underneath the compass rose. Put them on a text this week and say, hey, this is here's really simple steps, a really easy, easy social way to do this. Hey, would you be interested in getting together once a week to talk about the Bible? Be direct. No bait and switch. Like just say, let's talk about the Bible together. And then ask someone else. And then tell them, say, hey, a couple other guys are going to be joining us. A couple other girls are going to be joining us. Um, do you mind if I put you all in, all in a group text just to communicate about when we're going to meet? So that now the group no longer depends on you. It's creating relationship before we come out of this shelter in place thing, right? So you're creating a brand new discipleship group and they don't have to necessarily be saved or following Jesus yet. We're discovering the Bible together, right? They will get saved and the word will do its work and Jesus will call them, right? So it's not technically discipleship yet because they're not saved, right? But what you're doing is showing them the word using a discipleship tool and then leaning them in towards baptism at some point. So two or three people, get them on a call and say, hey, we're just going to talk about the Bible together. They don't need to be saved. And I want to encourage you, text the person you think is farthest from God right now, the impossible person. Text the impossible person. This is a perfect time to do it, right? Because there are a lot of things that are unstable coming out the back end. Great revivals. The last great awakening we had in the United States was in the 1880s, the great awakening. I mean, we had the Jesus people movement and that was a great awakening, but they come through great crisis. We guess what happened in in the 1880s, a huge housing collapse, actually (laughs) a huge housing collapse and the stock market tanked. So people are looking at the thing that they used to rely on because the God of America has been dethroned for a moment. And now is the time people are looking around and saying, okay, who's in charge of my house now? So take the time, call them, get them on a Zoom call once a week. Or, uh, you know, if, you know, they have iPhones, it's the easiest thing in the world to put a group of people on a, on a conversation on FaceTime. Oh my gosh. The, The possibilities are endless, right? I mean, if you look at the fact that 30 years ago, Literally, people would just have who they have in their house right now and some phone calls. 
like comparatively, like now you can reach out to anybody. You can disciple people over the phone and nothing beats meeting in person. Don't get me wrong. Like we're going to be so excited to like have meals with each other again and stuff. But like, let me say like right now is the time to say this is a, this is a really, really, really easy way to invite people into the word with you. Right. And it's not so intimidating having to travel across the city or be in the same space. But once those relationships and that group text is created and you're discussing the word together, it will grow and it will produce fruit. So I want to encourage you to do that this week. Okay. I know it's Easter next week. Um, What do you want us to read and mark? Um, Start in chapter one and just, hey, diddle diddle right up the middle. Just start reading it aloud together and stop when questions come up. And they will really quickly <laughs> because Mark, Mark is a book where Mark is showing that Jesus is the master of the world and heaven, essentially. And it's step by step. Um, and it'll give people a lot of comfort, I think, in this time. And it's a book of action. It's quick. It's easy to understand. And it presents Jesus as God very, very quickly. So just go until someone's like, wait, what does that mean? And really make it an open forum and let people discuss the word together and use the compass rose in it. Okay. And just be ready for it to be challenged. But trust me, like Jesus is going to work through this time. Does that make sense, guys? So next week, um, we're going to do Easter all together. Okay. Um, Just really quickly, a couple announcements, and then Jesse's going to do giving. Next week, we'll do Easter. We'll just do it at the same time. Okay. We'll do 9 9 a.m. That tends to work for everyone across the board. And then for Good Friday, I'm going to leave that up to all the individual um, churches in their cities to do their own Zoom calls. If you need my password for this, if you're an elder in a church, you can use Zoom here. Um, we'll just work out the times together. But um, do Good Friday. I would aim for around 5 p.m. and do about an hour of communion and just remembering who uh, Jesus is and what he's done for us. It doesn't need to be overdone. It doesn't need to be crazy. But I think it's it's good to remember what Jesus has done for us and, and wait in anticipation for the Resurrection Sunday. So um, those are the two announcements. We'll send out a link for next Sunday and then Good Friday coming up. Each individual church will do that. If you're not a part of Salt Churches, um, please just message Jess or I directly or whoever you were invited by directly to be a part of that Good Friday situation. That sound good, guys? Awesome. Thanks for tuning in today. We hope you feel inspired, encouraged, and empowered to change the world for the name of Jesus. Make sure to tune in and listen to our other podcasts and download our app, Salt Churches, found on iTunes. We hope to see you and hear from you soon. Thanks. Have a great day.